Man, it's a joy to be with you. I have not been in the Oasis service now for a few weeks, uh, so it feels really nice to, to be here. I, I tell people sometimes, not the other services, but I'll, I tell you in here, this is my favorite service to preach at, but don't tell the other services. Uh, but I do enjoy um, the Oasis service. Uh, just quick uh, housekeeping items. The first, I was over at Canal Fulton this morning. Uh, today marks one year anniversary of launching that, that campus. And uh, man, Robbie is doing a great job. Uh, he really is. Uh, he's coming into his own preaching voice and had a great message for the team. And I uh, started casting a little vision about what they're going to be doing this upcoming fall uh, in terms of service and outreach. Uh, they're going to be uh, partnering with Saltbox Ministries over there to, to try to engage those who find themselves vulnerable and in need. And uh, there's going to be a, a fall festival they're going to take part in this fall um, I want to say October, Joe, October, is that right? October 21st. And then after that's going to be the trunk or treat over at the Northwest High School parking lot. So there's some good things going on over there. Uh, keep them in your prayers uh, as they continue to try to engage that community and, and, and connect people to Jesus Christ. I um, also want to give you a quick update. I know many of you already probably know because you, you keep in, in touch with myself or Meredith. Uh, but Jaden, who, uh, our Jaden, who's been in the hospital now for about 10 days, um, is doing better. He's turned a corner for the good. Uh, they, they diagnosed him with an autoimmune disease that attacks his mucous membranes in the body. And uh, it's really been something to reflect on uh, as of recent days that uh, he has a disease, an autoimmune disease, that uh, his immune system's killing itself, right? It's attacking its own self. And that's just, an, there's a sermon illustration there somewhere, right? Um, but it's just interesting, but the, the, the doctors and nurses at Akron Children's are amazing people. Uh, they're gifts from God, and many of you are gifts from God to us as you have kind of helped stand and fill in the gap for us where we've needed help, so thank you so much for that. But we're keeping him in our prayers that no new lesions form on his body and that he can come home in the next couple of days and finish his care there. Uh, so I wanted to give you all that update. So thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, but again, it is good to see you. Today we're kicking off a new series of messages uh, entitled uh, New Lens. New Lens. And, and it's going to be for six weeks. And we're going to talk about looking through uh, most appropriately at our world through the lens of Scripture. Uh, how that, that needs to be, form a biblical worldview and how we, we engage uh, our own issues in the world around us. But I want to start out telling you, uh, so I was born with issues with my eyes. Uh, some of you know that I have a lazy eye, a wandering eye that I think has thrown some of you off at times in conversation as you kind of look to the side and I'm trying to look at you and talk to you and you're looking away. But at six months old, I ended up having a, a surgery, a eye surgery, because I had to correct cross eyes. I had cross eyes I was born with. Also could not see the hand in front of my face, so not long after that surgery, I started wearing glasses. And then growing up, periodically through my upbringing, I wore a pirate patch on my eye. They make them a little classier now, but back then it was a pirate patch. I had to wear my eye to strengthen the muscles on my lazy eye. Uh, the, the worst thing for an active boy was wearing glasses. I hated wearing glasses. And uh, reason being is when, when I would be playing with friends or on a team, uh, some sports team, and they would either fall off my face and break, or they would get all wet, or they'd fog up and I couldn't see. So often I just didn't wear my glasses. Uh, a blind kid trying to swing a bat or shoot a basketball into a hoop did not make me a coveted player on any team. Be it what it may, I preferred to play blind than have to deal with those glasses. 
I got to the point, 12 years old, I'm playing Little League Baseball, I'm pitching. My coach throws the ball back at, my, back at me, to hopefully catching my glove. Instead, it hits my face, right? Uh, messes with my tooth, I had to get a root canal on the, the front of my mouth and realized at that point, you know what? I, I probably need to start wearing my glasses, at least when I'm playing sports, or I'm gonna take some more baseballs to the head. Um, going to the eye doctor is always so fun, isn't it? Uh, favorite test at the eye doctor is what? That glaucoma test, right? You, you put your, your eye in this apparatus and it shoots out a puff of, of air into your eye. It does not feel that comfortable. My, my favorite is reading the charts with the letters and numbers on it, and you're trying to, to, to see what line you can get to and, and, and read the letters or numbers of cross. And not the, not the numbers and letters you're actually guessing, it says what, what it actually says. <laughs> because you want to give your eye doctor the best information possible to fit you with the corrective lenses. And as you're, uh, after you do that test, they then put another test in front of you where what sees clearer, right or left? Right or left? One or two? And for 10 minutes, they're asking you the same question, and miraculously, what happens? They fit you with the corrective lenses. Everything is just so clear, right? No, no longer straining to, to see what's in, in front of you. Friends, we live in a world where I think most people are trying to see clearly when it comes to how to move forward in the best fashion possible for life to flourish. But so often I, I look at our culture and people within our, the American society, I think we're looking through the lo- wrong lens in, in trying to move forward in life. Even those of us in the church, even though we know the correct lens to look through, I think we often get hoodwinked by culture, by society, by the talking heads on TV, uh, thinking that somehow they know best of how we can see most clearly to move forward in life. As I said a moment ago, we're starting a new series today called New Lens. And where we're going to begin in this new series is at the very beginning of the Bible. We're going to look at the story of creation. And church, what I hope throughout this series that we can do as a collective whole is we can start looking at life Start looking at the world in which we live, the issues that we face, and even our purpose and identity, and view all of that through the correct lens. To to be honest, that's my hope and prayer throughout the entire Core 52 initiative that we've been engaged in since January 1. Literally, January 1 was the kickoff of this initiative, where we wanted to get you into the scriptures, to learning the scriptures. What I'm hoping we do before December's out is we, we have constructed for ourselves a biblical worldview. That we start thinking scripturally when, when we engage the issues of today as we get more acquainted to the biblical stories, the principles, and the truths contained within. So but before we get into the creation stories, we're starting to construct this biblical worldview. I, I want to make one comment about how to develop a biblical worldview. First thing is we have to realize in constructing a biblical worldview that the, the stories of the Bible are not about us. They're not about you, they're not about me. I think often the first and biggest mistake we make when we engage the scriptures is we think the Bible's, the purpose of the Bible is, is, is to talk about us. It's not. You know, m- many approach the Bible like a manual to fix our lives, right? The Bible's not a manual to fix our lives. It's a book that speaks primarily about Jesus, not about us. Like every character, every genealogy, every command points in some way, shape, or form to Jesus. When my children were younger, we would read them uh, a children's 
Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Has anyone read that for your kids? Jesus Storybook Bible. Angela's got a few in her office. If you want one, you could grab one. But there's this great tagline uh, after the title of the book. It's the subtitle is Every Story Whispers His Name. And it's true. Every story in some way, shape, or form whispers the name of Jesus. Okay, here's the irony of it all. When we begin to look at the Bible through the proper lens, our lives begin to get fixed. So, so one might say the point of the Bible is not to tell us how to fix our lives, but how to fix our eyes on Jesus. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, guess what? By default, our lives begin to get fixed. We see this as the central message really at the, from the very first verse of the entire Bible, which is our actual um, memory verse for this week. And this is such a well-familiar verse, you might not even take a long time to memorize it. But this morning, not only am I going to read that memory verse, but I'm going to read the first three verses of Genesis 1. Here's how the story starts. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, is, is, just thank you so much for this day and this place to gather, to, to, to worship you, to reflect on your life-giving word. I just ask in the midst of these next few moments, you just bless the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts, that they be of profit to us and acceptable to you, for you indeed are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, most Christians, regardless of how well you engage the biblical narrative, most of us know Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. However, most people, even though they know verse 1, they don't really know verse 2 or aren't as familiar with verse 2. No, it's not the famous declaration of God, let there be light. It, it precedes that verse, but it's a verse we often Miss, miss. But it's a verse that's, that's really pregnant with a lot of theological reality. And here it is. Let me read it again. The, and it's a different translation. The earth was complete chaos, and the darkness covered the face of the deep. You can leave that up on, on the screen. Um, this is an interesting verse to me. When I was younger, I would read through the Bible, starting in Genesis, of course, and, and working my way through it to Revelation in the year. And this verse always sort of astounded me. I always wonder to myself, why does God start with chaos? It, it seems like it has to be intentional, right? Because it's in the scriptures. It, it, it really appears like God intentionally began his creation by making a dark, empty mess, and only then does the word work, um, begin to work in such a way where God brings forth this declaration, let there be light, and there is light. I think if we slow down for a second and look at this particular verse, there is a profound, significant reality we are seeing in verse 2. And this is where I want to focus today. The earth was complete chaos and darkness covered the face of the earth. The, the, the reason I think God starts with chaos and darkness is because it speaks to two realities of how God works. The first is this. We serve and trust and believe in a God that brings order out of chaos. Friends, when God created everything, he did so by starting with a formless void and then shaping that formless void by his word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
Now, why would God do this? Let's make it really applicable this morning. I think God did this because God wanted to show us that in the same way our lives are formless voids until God's word comes forth and brings our lives peace and order and beauty. I I get this sense in the American culture, I'm I'm, I'm creeping towards my mid-40s, so I think I have some legitimacy to make this claim. But I feel like we, we live in a society where people wander around aimlessly, trying to figure it out. Do you agree? I, I mean, life is tough, I get it. The world is chaotic, I get it. Our politicians are shrewd, I get it. So to deal with all of those realities, we wander around trying to find a semblance of an answer to appease the aches of our souls. <laughs> like, we want to make sense out of life, don't we? This is no new news to any of us here, at least I don't think, but a beloved musician died this past week. Who was it? Jimmy Buffett. Man, I love Jimmy Buffett music. Now, I had to be in the right frame of mind and attitude to listen to a Jimmy Buffett song, but when I wanted a Jimmy Buffett song, he never disappointed. And uh, I, I just, there was moments I wanted to waste away in Margaritaville. Uh, like, there is no better music than Jimmy, Jimmy Buffett movement, uh, music to help you escape and deal with the stresses and worries of life. How does it go? Nibbling on sponge cake? Watching, sing it for me, Karen, watching the sun bake? All of those tourists. You got it, keep going. On the front porch swing, smell those shrimp. Hey, they're beginning to boil. Wasting away in Margaritaville, right? Again, escaping from the chaos of life. Singing Margaritaville. But then, but then eventually you have to wake up from the dream, right? And face the day. Listen, life and peace, beauty and order is not found in booze. Loose sex, materialism, escapism, work, a Jimmy Buffett tune, or a hobby that you do after work. The formless void of our lives, friends, is filled with God's word. It's a restlessness of the soul until our soul finds rest in the word of God. Now, the opposite is true as well, isn't it? When the word of God departs from us, our lives descend into darkness, how many of us have experienced that in our, in our, in our life journeys? Uh, C.S. Lewis, who's best known as write, the writer of the series The Chronicles of Narnia, wrote a less, uh, uh, not less I don't want to say less noteworthy, less familiar book, because it's, it's still a noteworthy uh, uh, work of literature, but he wrote a book called Pilgrim's Regress. And Pilgrim's Regress was sort of an adaptation of John Bunyan's classic spiritual work called Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, was a book about the Christian life. It was a man named Christian who literally went from darkness to light as he pursued relationship with Jesus Christ. And his starting point was uh, in his home, the city of destruction. He left the city of destruction, this place of complete darkness, and he was moving on and journeying towards what's called the celestial city, heaven, where, where God is. And throughout his journey, he went from darkness to light. Pilgrim's regress is just the opposite. It's the story of a guy named John who starts out in a city of light. He starts out with a relationship with, with, with God, but he, he decides to go on a journey of regression. 
He, he searches the world far and wide to, to find something or someone that will satisfy the desires of his heart and his soul only by the end of the book to circle back to where he actually started, his home with the Lord. From, from a biblical standpoint, we see this reality play out as well. When we depart God's word, friends, our lives descend into darkness. Let me give you a for instance. We know the story of Exodus, second book of the Bible, Moses, the story of Moses. Let's talk about him uh, having his encounter with mighty Pharaoh. The plagues that God sends on Egypt when Pharaoh would not let his people go into the promised land that he promised to give the ancestors of their forefather, Abraham. So Moses brings the word of God before Pharaoh. Pharaoh rejects the word, and what happens next? The ten plagues begin. Now, if you're reading that particular story um, from kind of a, a cursory standpoint, you're not really getting too in-depth into the, the story of the plagues of Egypt, you can begin to think that these plagues are just simply random acts of cosmic punishment, a, a demonstration of the power of God. However, friends, the plagues follow a pattern, hear this, of creation unraveling. Right? So the first plague is the Nile River turning into blood. After that, uh, well, the Nile River, River turning the blood, it, it destroys the ecosystem in, in Egypt. After that, you get frogs, but then the frogs die, which comes gnats. The gnats bring disease, so on and so forth. So when God's word is rejected, order becomes disorder, light becomes darkness. Literally, one of the plagues towards the end, I think it's the ninth plague, is darkness, followed by goodness becoming terror which is the death of the firstborn of each family. Now, you, you think God may be simply wanting to, to demonstrate his power before Pharaoh. He could have done something else other than the plagues. He could have literally wiped out Pharaoh's army in, in, in a single moment. He could have had Mo, Moses kind of levitate, right? And, and maybe that would have caused Pharaoh to relent, but God doesn't do any of that because there's a deeper issue going on here than just him wanting to demonstrate power. And here it is. Friends, God wanted to demonstrate, I think, in, in this story of the plagues, what sin and rebellion do to us. Sin and rebellion, it, it, it tears creation apart at the seam. Uh, Pastor J.D. Greer, I love how he says it. He says, the word of God creates, sin decreates every time without exception. Now, unfortunately, don't we see this play out in our own lives? This sin decreating us, this sin tearing apart at the very seam, without exception every time. We see how sin unravels our families. We see how sin darkens our heart. We see how sin causes us to be bound, enslaved to addiction. But, but this sobering reality, don't, let's not stay there too long, because this sobering reality leads us to the other more beautiful side of the proverbial coin. We talk about what's the point of this verse 2 in Genesis 1. Well, it's to, to speak to the reality that God can bring order out of chaos. The second is that the word of God will one day redeem what sin has tried to destroy. So as Christians, you can't look at the creation story in Genesis 1 without also talking about its complementary text in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It's a companion text that, that John is trying to make a parallel between Jesus 
and creation here. And let me read for you real quick the first three verses of John chapter 1. He says, In the beginning, again, bringing us back to Genesis, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Jesus, the Word, friends, would come to re-enter the dark and sin-filled, chaotic world in which we live, and he would re-enter as the Word that would bring forth light and life once more. Are you seeing what's happening? Genesis 1. God brings order out of chaos at the very beginning. Humanity sins. And because of our sin, we bring chaos where there was once order. So what does Jesus do? He comes to re-bring order in our chaotic lives. Isn't it incredible how we screw things up so often? (laughs) Thanks be to God for Jesus who came to bring order back to our lives. We see Jesus doing this in in the gospel narrative over and over. We we see that that he is undoing the chaos of darkness that that, that sin has left in our lives. How does he do it? He heals diseases, right? He he opens the eyes of the blind. He, He makes lame people walk. He makes deaf people hear. He brings dead people back to life. He walks on water. And he tells hurricanes to quiet and be still. And those hurricanes are quieted and stilled. He forgives adulterers. He forgives murderers and thieves. He does so by drawing them into an intimate and and, and safe fellowship with himself, transforming the impure and shameful, hear this, into pillars of character and virtue. Man, only Jesus can do that. Friends, we cannot underestimate what Jesus is doing in the gospel narrative. It's what he has always done since the very beginning of time, bringing order out of chaos. My favorite preacher of all time is is Mike Glenn. Many of you know that. Mike Glenn has since retired from Brentwood Baptist. I'm going to have to get a different favorite preacher. But uh, he says it best. When it comes to this idea of God bringing order out of chaos, he, he does it in the, um, the, the, the frame of just the transformation that takes place in a person's life when Christ enters in. And he says that Jesus, is uh, the power of God is such that he can take the worst mistake you have ever made and somehow make that the first line of your testimony. Friends, only God can do that, right? Our society thrives on chaos, does it not? Our society takes great delight in seeing people fall from grace. And honestly, we are no better for it. But Jesus changed that. He he flips the narrative. And, And this is where true life is found. You see, wherever sin has left darkness, Wherever sin has left a void in a person's life, Jesus comes with a thundering declaration, let there be light. And guess what? There is light. Here's the craziest thing of it all. You have Jesus, the word of God, come to earth to bring order and peace where it has been made chaotic again, only to see him put into the darkness and the chaos. Remember what happens on the cross? Hanging on the cross, he dies. It says, the scriptures tell us the earth shakes and there is just black 
that pure black that covers the sky. The Spirit of God that hovered over Jesus all of his life went away, and Jesus on the cross asked the question, God, where are you? And the response is astounding. It's just silence. So in Mark Moore's book, Core 52, in chapter 1, he tries to show the function of God in, in creation. He talks about God the Father as the, um, the, the architect, God the Spirit as the engineer, and God the Son as the builder. Jesus, the Word of God, the builder of creation, the Word, uh, the, the word of God, the builder of creation, was put in darkness on the cross, was put into the void of sin on the cross. Why? Friends, he did it. He walked that road on behalf of us so that we who have rejected the word could once again have light in life. Let me say it more plainly how J.D. Greer says it. This is worth a sermon, this quote. He says, Jesus allowed himself to be decreated on the cross so that we could be recreated in the resurrection. The Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John, in his uh, narrative of Jesus' life, says that he was crucified on the sixth day. Um, and uh, the same day, in creation, by the way, the human beings were created, right? Day six, human beings were created. He was then raised on the first day of a new week, as if he was beginning a new creation. And after the resurrected Jesus meets with his disciples, John 21, he, he says he meets his disciples for the first time and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what does God do after God in the creation story takes the dust of the earth and forms a human being? What does he do next? He breathes into him the breath of life. Jesus in John 21, again, is breathing into his disciples the breath of new life. Jesus makes all things new. Friends, despite how our culture wants us to, to, to see the world and condition us to understand the world and, and what lenses to use to, to, to understand the world, the scriptures are completely different. And it starts in creation. It starts in this first verse of, of God bringing order out of chaos, bring life out of death, bring light out of darkness. And what he is telling us today, I think, plainly, is that none of us are ever too far gone for redemption. Amen? We're not. We are never too broken beyond repair. God, God brought order out of chaos. God brought light out of darkness. He can do it again and again and again and again. So let me ask the question. Where in your life has sin destroyed you? Is your family unraveling before your very eyes? Is your sense of worth or your self-image mired in darkness? Friends, if you turn to Christ, the word of God made flesh, he can make all things new. Your life just might be the picture of chaos in this moment, but God can create everything out of nothing. And if he can do that, he can surely recreate everything in you. And the process of allowing that to happen is putting the word of God back inside of you. For where the word of God goes, light and life and peace and beauty 
are not far behind. God brought order out of chaos once. I'm telling you, he can do it again. Church, do you believe? Do you believe? Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, creator of us all, the one who swept over the chaotic and dark waters, the one who swept over the formless void and brought forth order and beauty and peace, we just simply want to give you thanks. And we want to claim you as the only God who has the ability to do it again. So God, we beg of you in this moment to do it again. Where our lives have become chaotic, where sin has decreated us and brought deep brokenness, save us through the blood of Jesus and breathe on us again the gift of your spirit so we can be made new, so our lives can find order. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.